Joe. Welcome to the Asians Represent podcast. It Thank you. Has been... I... <laughs> go for it. You, know, you go for it. Oh, no. I just I was going to say, like, I'm as a longtime fan uh, and longtime friend of yours and longtime person who was joking about how technically I was able to be on this show. It's good to uh, finally be on. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've been joking about you technically being able to be on Asians Represent for a really long time. Um, and the stars have finally aligned in a way where you can not only come on Asians Represent as my friend, but also come on Asians Represent for a very important topic in the history of our show. So for our listeners, at the start of the pandemic, we made a decision to read several TTRPGs live on our Twitch account. And one of those TTRPGs was the current edition of Legends of the Five Rings, the core rulebook. And we read that over the course of 40 hours. I think it's 40 streamed hours. Um, (laughs) And it was very important in the history of our channel because it was an evolution in our content. And after we, you know, read L5R, we did a debrief episode of the podcast, we really never touched that franchise again until this episode. So, Joe, you are a franchise producer at Asmodee, but you and I have been friends for, and I was actually looking back to when you and I first started like chatting and when we did our first sort of podcast collaboration before Asians <laughs> Represent, and that was eight years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that was eight yeah. years ago. And I, since then, I have known you to be uh, an authority on the history of TTRPGs, but also uh, you know, a great friend and someone who I can always turn to if I need a gaming recommendation. And now you are coming on to Asians Represent as a representative of Asmodee to talk to us about the company's approach to the L5R franchise and to talk with Emma and I about the process behind hiring and utilizing cultural consultants on L5R, uh, which Emma and I both worked on. Um, This is really interesting because in the past when we've talked about cultural consultants in the games industry, we've always talked about the use of cultural consultants on specific games, but never a franchise. And I will say this, for me, the process behind working, you know, on L5R was actually an extremely positive one. Um, and I'm not saying this because, you know, you work for Asmodee and that the team at Asmodee were like, we listened to all of your Asians <laughs> read L5R stuff, which honestly baffled me that the team listened to 40 hours of us talking about their product. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was a very, it was a very, very good cultural consulting experience. And I think it's worth highlighting uh, in the context of this sort of franchise revival. So that is my sort of like long-winded way of saying, hey, Joe, I'm glad you're on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Thank you, both of you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start off with a bit of an intro. I mean, some yeah. listeners may know who I am. Probably many don't. Uh, as Daniel said, I'm a longtime friend of his. I've been in the games business in and around the space for a decade now. Um, but last year I started working uh, at Asmodee, who are 
uh, a you know collection of various studios, including FFG and um, uh, just a bunch. If you go on the website, you're going to know it's at a, least a couple of those studios. <laughs> huge, huge, huge business. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, like Watsy sized for TTRPG people. I think that'll probably be the touchstone for scale. Um, mm-hmm. And part of my team's remit was stewarding uh, what we call the deep lore IPs that Asmodee has. And one of the major ones for us is L5R. Um, For me, personally, I've been an L5R fan going back to seven years old. Um, Not as diehard as a lot of our fans are. I will say that we have an incredibly... Uh, engaged community um, that have stayed with the IP through like three different companies now and just like love the thing to death. Um, I started playing in like 96 because I got really, really hard into CCGs before I got into role-playing games. And that's where it started. Um, But I think one of the things we, we realized, and this is why initially I had approached you, Daniel, um, and I give all credit to my boss, Brian Mulcahy, because he's the one who first told everyone to listen to it before he knew that we knew each other. Um, oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he like brought it up in our team's chat and was like, hey, guys, listen to this. This is really, really good. I'd listen to all of it over a break or something. Um, and I was like, I, I know Daniel. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you want to talk to Daniel? I can set that up. Um, and then the whole team ended up listening to it and, and it spurred on a lot of really good thought. But I think Brian understood. And I think this is one of those things that's just the nature of the beast, right? And you covered this both in your stuff on L5R, but also in, you know, Oriental Adventures and Curator and things like that, where there is a kernel of goodness. And in my opinion, in L5R, much more than a kernel compared to a lot of the, uh, comparable um products of of the era um but things change right and it's it's not about throwing everything away and fully reinventing the wheel i mean i'm sure some people can absolutely argue for that i think that is a path forward i don't think it's necessarily the path forward that we wanted to to go with um i personally didn't um instead i think there's a an iterative process, right? And that's that's always been part of my thinking. And frankly, we'll talk about this more about the the benefits of iterative processes, um, which is why we did the consulting the way that we did it. Um, everything building on itself, everything taking a range of voices and considering them alongside one another to create something that improves holistically rather than dramatically cutting 50% of the thing off at the knees. Um, Because there is something really good about L5R. It's been, you know, oh God, how many years? 90, too many, I'm too old. Um, (laughs) Like like 30. Um, But there's something there and it wasn't something that we wanted to to do anything, you know, drastic 
with. I mean, over time, yeah, things will change. But our job wasn't to create a new IP. Our job was to take something that people already loved and believed in and still had a deep personal connection to and and make it better and make it more well-considered, right? Um, and this is a word that we, we're going to talk about more, I'm sure, but more intentional. Um, don't just throw random things in there, right? That's how you get in trouble. That's how you do disservice, not only to like people of various backgrounds, but to the thing itself. Um, you make it intentional. You make it all fit together. And so when Brian expressed that opinion and specifically that, you know, he loved the show. I was like, all right, well, let's do this thing. Asmodee has a long history of using cultural consultants. Um, and thankfully, I'm not going to say I invented this whole process from scratch. That would have been uh, far too much work that I'm frankly not qualified to do. We had a, a starting template that we deviated from uh, a lot uh, from FFG, um, who had done a ton of cultural consulting in the past. But yeah, it was like, all right, cool. I understand the mission. I understand why we're doing it. And hey, I, uh, I know somebody I can ask to get us started on the right path of picking people who would be good voices to to speak on this. And that's that's Daniel. Yeah, that I did not know the backstory behind the entire team having to watch that series. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say having to. <laughs> Brian wouldn't be like, hey, here's 40. Here's literally a work week. Um, you have to listen to the, this, this group of people talk. Yeah, just stop <laughs> working for the next seven days and just do this instead of your job. No, um, but people got really into it. And it was for like a few weeks, like every now and then one of the team members would like message in teams being like, oh, I just listened to this episode. That's a really, really interesting idea. Or like, what do, what do we think about this that they just brought up here? I had never considered it in that light before. Um, and the more that happened, the more I was like, all right, well, then we need to enshrine this. Right? We need to make this not just us listening to something that was created that we're getting benefit out of, but something that we can do in the, the way that makes it the most helpful, right? Incorporate these individuals and others into the process rather than just pull from it. Yeah, one of the things that people often said about our series was that, oh, you've basically just provided 40 hours of free consultation yeah, free. to a company, <laughs> right? If, you know, if you go to the Asians Read Oriental Adventures, we basically did 40 hours of free consultation for Watsi, or I guess historically TSR. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, you approached me and we were like, hey, I mean, I knew you had been working for Asmodee for a while because we were in a long, long-standing game. Um, mm -hmm. we, we've we still are in the same group together, and it's been like three years. You have killed two of my characters accidentally as a as a fellow player character. Um, but you approached me and you're like, "Hey, we're gonna be doing this L5R thing. Can you help me assemble a team?" And you and I like sat down virtually and we went over a list of all of the people you found you basically did this mm -hmm. deep dive into anyone who could have possibly been a really good fit for this team you had a budget and you and i kind of like talked about each one there were many that we didn't know and we looked them all up to make sure and we we picked a team 
Uh, and I would say we picked like a really diverse team, a lot of different experiences, all suited to what Asmodee was looking for, for this review of L5R. And I will reiterate again, the process that you folks use is the process that I think many, many large companies, because this is not something that a small indie publisher can do. But yeah. the process that you folks employed is something that I think companies on the scale of like Watsi and Paizo should employ moving forward. So we talk about cultural consultants a lot on this. And uh, I'm going to ask you this question, Emma, after providing my answer first to give you um, but when I'm working as a cultural consultant for a company, be it Watsi, be it, you know, like a small, you know, publisher, be it like critical role, what I will typically do is I'll receive the materials from the company, I'll review them, and then I always send back a document. And cultural consultants each work a little bit differently. And we've also mentioned that the qualifications of a cultural consultant may also vary. It depends on the nature of the project and what's required. But usually it's this combination of, you know, lived experience, being of the group you are consulting on, uh, and or, you know, academic expertise. And when I provide my feedback, I usually provide a summary of my findings. And then I provide a breakdown of a things that are of a critical focus. So content that in its current state can cause harm. Uh, I provide a cautionary focus, so content that can, if you develop further, can cause harm. And then, of course, things that are general recommendations, um, things that should be included, things that would be interesting, or things that would be helpful to the readers. Uh, and then I send that back. And typically, after I send that back, that's pretty much it. I don't know what's happening with the project until I get an email being like, hey, what's your address? I'd like to send you a copy of the book. Or I show up to an LGS and I see the book and I'm like, I didn't know this came out. Um, but that's usually the end of it. I, send my feedback, I get paid. And that's pretty much how I operate as a cultural consultant. Um, what about you, Emma? Very similar. But these days I tend to put all my comments on the documents that are sent to me instead of doing something separate, which is how I started. but. Yeah, for the most part, it's read through, overthink, write out a bunch of stuff. And I try not to go into like professor mode, but then also <laughs> provide context. <laughs> and then, yeah, you usually send stuff in and you may or may not get follow up questions. And uh, it's very rare to see the thought process behind how they integrate what you've handed over, if they integrate at all. And I've actually rarely seen, I started a lot more recently than you, Daniel. So I haven't seen that many final products come out of some of the stuff I've worked on. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, to clarify with my process, I include page numbers. Yeah. I'll be like page 19, <laughs> paragraph three uh, for every single one. But for me, the way my brain works, a separate document is, is how I like to do it. But to Emma's point, every consultant will do this a little bit differently, but ultimately it involves receiving materials, reviewing them, sending feedback, and then that's pretty much the end of it. There may be times I've worked with um, a company called 3Sales Studio where 
I've had, um, we've worked it into sort of our agreement where we have like review meetings. So I'll send my feedback, we'll talk, and then it will kind of be informal from there. But no company has ever been as structured as Asmodee when it yeah. comes to cultural <laughs> consultants. So Joe, I want to ask you, like after we kind of came up with, and again, I will say this, I did not pick the cultural consultants on this project. I provided Joe with a list of my recommendations uh, and then the Asmodee team picked. Um, but Joe, once the consultants were picked, like what was internally like the, the next step? Sure. Um, so yeah, when we, when we nailed down that short list of individuals, we brought it back to the team. We spoke through uh, the pluses of each individual um, we knew we wanted to have a sizable but not overwhelmingly large panel um, just for difficulty of reconciling differences between feedback. Um, and I think this is something that we we kind of intuited up front was that if you pick one individual or even two, you're going to get the potential of everyone having the same viewpoint. If you pick three, four, or five, now you're going to start introducing the potential of differences in in opinion differences in direction and that was something we we wanted but we didn't want it to be so great that it would uh muddy the waters right um we wanted there to be that that fine line where we saw okay 75 percent of people say this and the one person who didn't said something that was you know one standard deviation away not three standard deviations away so we we know that we're in the right direction here and now it's a matter of degree and and then if we get four wildly different answers, okay, that means we need to do another instance of a cultural consulting panel where we hone in on this topic. Um, that's usable uh, data for us rather than just 10 people who give us entirely different opinions and then we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but the next tangible step was we have what are called the starter kits, um, and that's an internal designation. Um, basically, it's the core material to explain an IP. So in the case of L5R, it's uh, Adventures in Brokugan, the uh, 5e SRD uh, role-playing game. It's the fifth edition of the Legend of the Five Rings core rulebook. Um, it's a bunch of internal documents we use to talk about what is Rokugan, what is not Rokugan, um, various things uh, of that nature. And then uh, starting really with y'all, um, the Rokugan uh, Legend of the Five Rings art book. Um, which had not released yet, uh, but is now out, um, which is now kind of our like visual brand Bible um, because of, you know, it is a summary of the artwork that went into L5R. So, you know, great resource for that. Um, and so the next thing was once we had selected the individuals uh, to supply you the starter kit, like you were any NDA partner um, and basically say, Hey, please read through this at your leisure, right? Um, we didn't want to influence direction in any way whatsoever, right? I think that's probably first on the big differences from a product. Um, yep. Like, <laughs> you're probably given direction, like, this is what we want you to look at. And we're just like, just look at it. Just let us know what you think. Um and we, we wanted to start with that, that cold read, 
because we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, we had our own either uh, past notes from cultural panels going back years or our own best judgment, but we didn't want to bias people. That would that would make your feedback inherently tinged in a way that we didn't want. Um, so it was it was cold read. So we we provided you that we gave. Was that like a month? It was a while to just look over it at your leisure. Um, and then we did a a call, and it was just us saying up front, "Hey, this could be thirty minutes. It could be an hour." however many thoughts you have, we're going to ask no questions whatsoever, except for some very minimal ones at the end. Please just ramble at us. Tell us any thought, big or small, about anything whatsoever. No care of where you focused your attention. What caught your eye? That's what we care about. Um, and so that was that was the big, I'd say, step one, is don't don't bias the people who you're asking to give you an unbiased opinion. Yeah, it was, I thought it was really interesting because I know like Emma and I found like similar and different things. Like, you know, for me, a lot of the material culture that you saw in the art, I commented on a lot of the mm -hmm. things that were Chinese coded, but placed really weirdly in the world and the art I commented yeah. on. Uh, I liked that there was, there were separate meetings is like, your team and Emma met separately from from me. I don't know what <laughs> happened in that meeting. I mean, Emma and I obviously rambling. talked about L five R. A lot of like, rambling. Oh, I, oh, I don't know what I have to say. I'm like, but then there's this thing. Oh, and another thing. <laughs> oh, and another thing. <laughs> that was good. That's what we wanted. That was exactly yeah. what we were hoping to get out of that step. So yeah, yeah. yeah and and you're I not really, only. Oh, go ahead, Sam. Sorry. Oh, I really that. fixated on the contributor guidelines because to me. That was something I wasn't expecting to see, but it was nice. And also something I think that heavily influences the product going forward is what you tell people who are contributing either art or writing about what they should be doing here. And then I just saw a bunch of stuff. I'm like, oh, I have words. And I just <laughs> <commenting>. <laughs> yeah. The, Joe didn't mention this, but there was a document that we were sent and it was basically a, a do's and don'ts document mm -hmm. uh, for LF5R. It was like, do this or and don't do this. And some things were like really interesting and other things were, I think, probably brought up by every single consultant. Um, <laughs> the one point that I made in there's a do's and in the do's and don'ts document, there was a point and it says Rokugan is not Japan. And I remember reading through this and Emma and I were hanging out and we were talking about it and we were both like, but Rokugan is Japan in a way. <laughs> and L5R isn't trying to not be Japan. It's very much inspired by Japan and it has so many Japanese cultural signifiers. And in a way, you can't say it's not Japan and then use Japanese terminology and use Japanese visual sort of signifiers. Um, and we had like a really good conversation about that. And I'm assuming that came up in your, uh, your first meeting as well, Emma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and so... No, even even that's interesting because, you know, that was something that we, we heard a lot. We spoke about definitely in detail as we went forward. Um, and we'll talk about the later steps and how that influenced some of the later steps as well. 
Um, and yeah, we are, you know, we're revising that. There are a lot of caveats. There's a lot of nuance that was not there in that direction. Um, but also even then, only three out of four consultants flagged that at all. Um, you two, obviously, I won't say who the other one is. Um, I don't want to, you know, say anyone did this, anyone did that. But like, even then, like between the two of you, there were differences. But like Daniel, you and Hiromi had a lot of similar notes. But then also, Hiromi had a lot of notes that were the same as Mari, but totally opposite to you. And it was really interesting to see these like these nuances and like where the agreement was, what everyone hit on, and then what people not only didn't hit on, but sometimes gave completely opposite answers on, which was fascinating. I think we wouldn't have seen otherwise. That's really funny because like Hiromi and I spoke only very briefly uh, about, cool. about Elfheimer. We did. We really didn't talk as much as Emma and I talked. And then I, I didn't, I barely spoke to Mari as well about it. Um, so that's actually really funny. I did not know that Hiromi and I had very similar uh, feedback. That's, that's, that's funny. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, and at that point, after we had those meetings and after we had submitted our, our feedback, like our digital feedback, that's typically where the cultural consulting journey ends at most companies. But it was actually only the start <laughs> for, <laughs> for like you folks. So like after we had those sort of intro calls with the franchise development team and submitted our feedback and had that sort of conversation about our thoughts, internally, what happened next? So uh, we made an ask of everyone. Thankfully, as experienced professionals in cultural consulting, you already had done this in your own note-taking, but we asked for, you know, beyond what you said in the call, detailed notes of everything that you had found, because maybe something had been alighted over, or you had further thoughts after speaking them aloud. Um, and once we had all those notes in hand, uh, I went through our recordings of all of the calls, I went through all of the notes, and I made a master list of everything everyone had said. Um, where it was replicated was noted, not how many or who, just that it was, um, but just have a kind of single source of truth document where it's like, here's everything that we've heard. Um, and I imagine there are some companies who do that, right? Otherwise, you're just having a conversation and then what, it just scatterbrain escapes you by the time you're ready to implement anything. Um, so I imagine this kind of like single source of truth document does hopefully get made. Um, but I think the next thing, and this is probably the part that like me having my educational background thought was sensible and most people probably would not mess around with survey design by choice unless they have a gun held to their head. Um, was I wanted to create a a survey of both uh, fill-ins, multiple choice, Likert type scale questions, um, like a, a proper, almost academic grade survey. Um, because as many answers as we had received in that first portion, two times as many questions opened, right? someone would flag something and we'd go, okay, but here are the three branching possibilities from that. And we don't have a note. And not only do I not know what they think about it, 
but we have three other people who didn't flag this at all. And I want to see if once we bring it up to them, they feel similarly, they feel differently. Um, and so a massive three-part survey um, that was frankly far too many pages. We were very, very detailed. I want to thank you both. And um, also, uh, Romy and Mari, if you're listening, thank you for dealing with the size <laughs> of the survey that we ended up putting together. Um, but we didn't want anything to be missed, right? And things invariably work, right? And we're going to do future consulting processes because there were things that even after people answered all of these questions, we still went, well, when I look through all the data and the notes and the responses and the call logs, I still don't know. Um, sometimes the best you could do is like, right now we park this issue. And then when we have the time and we've made the adjustments and alterations that have been advised, then we go back to this thing that we had parked. Um, but yeah, survey creation. It um, was, <laughs> it was extensive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> It was extremely long. And I think what was interesting is that I, I for one, did not fill out every section of the surveys because they were not my areas of expertise. Uh, but you folks were clear about that. You weren't asking me to fill out these Japanese language parts because I'm not Japanese. And so I didn't fill them out. But there are other parts where I went into a ton of detail. Yep. Um, and I thought... I really liked the fact that you sent out a survey. I honestly wasn't expecting it. And it's the only time that has ever happened in my years of working as a cultural consultant. And there, there were also some really interesting things that came out of that. You know, I said it at the top of every survey page, you know, uh, leave the field blank. If you don't feel like you have anything to say about it, put an X in the field. If you feel like it's something worth noting, but you don't have any strong opinions. Um, but then there were things that like, you know, Mari having Okinawan heritage, having a, a knowledge and life experience background around it was invaluable when it came to the Mantis clan, right? Because they are very Okinawan and just kind of the, the smaller islands of the Japanese archipelago coded. Um, but then there were things that you know, Hiromi didn't bring up at all in the call. But then when we asked that question specifically about Mantis and the, the associated questions, it turned out that Hiromi actually did have domain expertise in these from an academic background and was able to give pretty much to the to a T the same answers that Mari was given. Um, and so we saw that when when it was brought up, okay, yeah, now we have two things. Are they slightly different, right? Mari would name one tattooing tradition. And then Hiromi mentioned, oh, there's a broader tradition of tattooing. Um, uh, the uh, Shindoshi, right? And this is a thing that came up often was uh, how do you treat real world religious influences on the setting was a, a big topic throughout it. And frankly, is going to be a big part of subsequent cultural consulting because it is one of those things that there are so many nuances and so many elements to that. However intensive this process was, I more, more needs to be explored. Um, 
but like everyone gave slightly different answers and in in aggregating those and and sifting through the differences between them we understood okay well these are the things that make the most sense these are the top level things that we can do but now we know what are the the smaller level things that we need to give more consideration to if i had only gotten you daniel you might have said like, oh, okay, I have this feeling about this, um, or these two things are really, really big and wrong. And then we would have barreled ahead and made changes that might have been ill-advised. Um, I think it's only in giving multiple touch points, multiple opportunities to speak, uh, a broad span of time to give people the opportunity to have a thought and then reflect on their thought, deepen that thought, potentially change it. Um, and then compare and contrast those with other people who are domain experts, um, then we can get a really rich picture, right? And like, what's the reason we're doing this if not to get a rich picture? That's, that's literally the point kind of by definition is to get a richer picture of this thing. So, well, in that process, I want the richest picture possible. Um, but yeah, yeah. Y'all put up with a very intense survey. Not every answer had to be filled out. Some people filled out a ton. Some people filled out fewer, but gave like eight paragraph answers when they did. Um, it was all valuable, though. And like, there's my, my only regret is that I couldn't pay you five times as much to do even more work. Like, so I, at the end of that process, even after we had put everything together, we kept like there was like an hour long debate in in our team chat one day where we were just going back and forth on like finer points of what you had said. And I was just like, if only we could expand scope of work <laughs> next time. Next time. Yeah, I think yeah. a big, big thing that you've kind of highlighted is that this is a process and this is. We've talked about multi the the multi step process of actually consulting, but this entire project itself, this panel, isn't the end all be all. It's the the first of many, and not just for yeah. you know L five R, but you've now set a template that you can use for other franchises that you folks oversee. I I'm of the mind, and I won't speak for Asmodee when I say this. Um, I would say this as a personal individual um that there is no ip on earth that wouldn't benefit from an exacting continuous detailed process of this sort because if a human is creating it it draws upon human cultures it draws upon human experiences which means that unless i am doing the most absolutely minuscule i don't know marcel proust writings don't probably need a cultural consulting process because it's all about one memory of something that opens up his life experience, right? Like there, I don't think Joyce needs a cultural consulting process. He's a little dicey in places, but it's all about Joyce's life. Um, like, but that's not what an IP is. That's like the, the singular work of a singular author writing about themselves. Um, an IP is a collection of people's thoughts over years and years they change, they shift, the times change, the times shift. And even if we were living in a perfectly static universe, right, just the nature of having a ton of people involved in something means a ton of voices should be considered and should be considered at length. Um, so 
I think there are a lot of people who, you know, look at this and go, okay, well, it, it's drawing upon specific cultural influences, and that's why cultural consulting is important. What doesn't do that, right? In my dream universe, every single IP would have this applied and have this applied continuously for the length of its existence. Yeah. I mean, it only it only makes it better. I mean, it only will make the IP more inclusive. It will only make it deeper, right? Like, and this isn't even the end of the journey. Not only have we filled out this questionnaire, but you also collated everything and yeah. then sent us back an extensive 28-page deck <laughs> with all of your findings, right? And not only that, you've not only said, hey, this is what we found, but this is what we're going to do, right? Yeah. And there's a lot. And I know, Joe, you and I have talked about doing a follow-up to this episode, kind of going over these things. Um, but there are things in here where um, probably the one that we talked about the most and joke about, admittedly, the most was honor and dishonor, right? And in this deck that you sent us, you were like, hey, we're not using those words, right? The way we kind of understand them in the West doesn't match East Asian traditions in a one-to-one -one way, right? And these are other words that we can use. And these are words that were obtained from the cultural consultants. Because I vividly remember there being an entire section about honor and what are some alternatives to the word honor and the word dishonor. Um, yeah, that, that was a fun section to come up with. So just for, for everyone who didn't see this, what we did was we asked um, as a noun, as a verb, and as an adjective, here are a range of synonyms for these words for both honor and dishonor. Now, on a scale of one to seven, how appropriate are they? Um, and how, I don't remember if the term we used was offensive or not. I think we used a remember. different, yeah, a, a similar concept. And then we did a grading across them. And above a certain threshold, they were acceptable to be included. Um, and that is how we determined what words were uh, good. And even then, it was really interesting because there were times where, like, I think there was an, ex I don't remember exactly what it was, but Daniel, you gave something a seven and someone else gave something a two. And we were like, okay, well, now we have to consider outliers. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I know, I, 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 I went really hard on some of those words where. <laughs> yeah, you, you were definitely, yeah. but I appreciated that because there were many times where you were, you were a, an outlier, but we had two columns for that. We had, uh, pure statistical average, and then we had a weighted average column. Um, and like even then, seeing the difference between those two was super useful. Um, mm. But yeah, we created this big, big deck because at the end of the day, however much it's important for us, I don't want to put this in the most uh, uncouth way possible, but like to extract value from this process, right? Well, yeah. if, if we're doing this, it's yeah, because uh, we care and we want to <laughs> get information out of it that's usable. Um, that's the point. Yeah, it's it's quite literally the point. Um, but it's also important that we are accurately reflecting what you feel you said. Right? Um, and so I provided this 
big deck. I also provided all the raw data that we had in case anyone had any interest in digging back through it, um, seeing if we were summarizing what they said or we were adding meaning into their words and they didn't feel they had said and where that confusion might be. Um, some people came back and gave feedback on the deck so that we could refine it even further. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, we wanted there to be a a thing we could point to, right? Like a, if, if this is an ongoing process, there is never really a final deliverable. But in as much as this serves as, as a log of where we were and where we're going, and then we can check against this in a year and say, hey, these were the things we said we were going to do. How well did we do with this? Are we actually taking their feedback into account? Are we using it in materially important ways? Um, and we're already starting on some of that, right? Like, Daniel, you did give probably the most feedback on material culture. Um, that is your like that is your domain expertise um but already we understood like from the moment you said that andy our visual director was just like yeah okay 100 percent. i do need to start working on that because it is it's critically important i can't just tell somebody who's being commissioned to do a piece of art something they won't have the background knowledge right we can enshrine this we can write this down but that's what a material culture guide is. Um, I, I vividly remember there was a piece in, because Emma and I were, I remember talking about this with Emma. And it's in the Art of L5R book. And it shows this Emerald Magistrate riding a horse. And I remember talking about the weapon he was carrying. But then Emma, you you talked about the horse. Yeah. And then I was I, like, I wouldn't <laughs> put that up. Horses and tack and, and all of that is something that I know. <laughs> And like, I love that you folks are going to basically develop a guide for artists. So we don't see things like, oh, we don't want a, a fake Asian language. Or, hey, yeah. I understand that. I think there was another piece in the art of L5R where the artist is trying to depict this, the sun shining through a fabric. And mm. clearly, like, the, the characters are drawn on one end, but you're viewing it from the other. And it looks like they're reversed. Right. And I remember writing, why bother taking that risk to begin with? Um, I really, really like the deck because, you know, like, I know Emma, you and I have talked about, like, sometimes we will send in our feedback, but we may not even know if they're going to use it. And as a cultural consultant, one of the risks you take is taking a job. And then ultimately being worried about your reputation and how you're perceived by others in the industry if your feedback is not taken into account and you are still credited as a cultural consultant. And I've worked on projects where I'm like, don't credit me. Don't credit me. Um, and there are small projects, but having a deck like this actually is a good show of faith and trust building from your team, Joe. Right. I mean, it's important. Uh, it's a, yeah. it's a two way street, right? Like if you don't trust us to do right by your words, to do right by your feedback, how can we trust you 
to give us the unvarnished feedback that we actually want. Yeah. Right. If, if you're of the opinion that all we want is for you to tell us what we want to hear, well, I don't need to pay somebody to tell me what I want to hear. I have my own brain. I want you to tell me what I don't know yeah. or, or maybe even <laughs> what I don't want to hear. Right. That I, that I admit to myself in the quiet hours in the morning, but that by the time I roll around out of bed and I get on my laptop to start the working day has already gotten too quiet. Like I want, I want that feedback. And unless you can trust me, I can't trust you to give that. Like I ha- it has to go both ways. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I mean, I would have been hesitant to work on this or work on it in the, the degree to which I worked on this, like helping pick the consultants or making suggestions and all of that, especially for down the line. I'm like, Hey, you know, we know this guy, Monty editor, writer extraordinaire has worked on L5R. I've recommended Monty so many times during all of our meetings. Even though this was a consulting thing, I was like, hey, down the line, this person. Um, but uh, I trust you. I mean, you and I are friends. Like, you've slept on my couch. Like, you've been in my home. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I know that you're going to, to the best of your ability, make use of what all four of us had provided. And I think you, you ultimately, and I'll say this as like a, I don't want to shower you with too much praise, um, but I think you you exceeded all of my expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly felt like you were going above and beyond. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I you can you can shower me in praise on uh, Sunday night's game. Feel free. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, well, that's different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will say, as someone who didn't know you. New Year friends with Daniel. Still kind of true. Nervous as hell to work on something as big as L5R. Because, I don't know. Already, I started with Asians Rep reading L5R. That's how I got into this. Daniel's like, you want to read a thing? I'm like, okay. <laughs> literally, I literally was like, hey, I'm going to reach out to you on Facebook. And I was like, reading this book. I know you don't play. Have like, you heard of L5R? You want to read it? <laughs> you want to read it live in front of people and be judged for it? <laughs> <laughs> on this massive franchise that people love? Yeah. yeah. I, you know what? It's so funny. I did not know how much people loved L5R until we started reading it. Until we read, until we like started reading it, and then met people like Sar, mm-hmm. and just like didn't know about all the cosplay and like the pseudo LARPs and all of the like the community. Oh yeah, like the L five R. I mean, more so than any other TTRPG franchise, I will say nobody is as hardcore as L five R community. And the thing is, I think it was really different too compared to our experiences reading Oriental Adventures, because. Hardcore Oriental Adventures fans, those exist, were very much like, how dare you? But fans of L5R were like, that is valid. And there were people who were excited to see criticism. I remember that even in our Discord or on uh, on Twitter, people were just like, yeah, read it. Yeah, yeah the, tone, <laughs> the, tone the, was, <laughs> the tone was so different between yeah. Oriental Adventures and L5R. And it's and it's not about the companies. It, it's I think it's the, the fan bases of either one. And you yeah. know, L5R is more of a modern like product than Oriental Adventures. Certainly more of a modern product. Though there are elements of Oriental Adventures that carry into 5th edition D&D. 
it is not the same as you know L5R. And we even you know did a, a look at the uh, third edition Oriental Adventures book, which was set in Rokugan. Um, yeah, as well as which was like what ninety nine two thousand. So. Something like that, because I remember my mom buying me that book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Oriental it, Adventures is definitely an older product, and to a less well-considered time on these matters. Um, but I do think it is the fan base, right? Like, I, I cannot say in high enough regard when I did Gen Con this past year and we did an L5R booth and like, I got to talk to like lifelong fans. There was a fan con for L5R just for L5R for like, is there a fan D and D con? I mean, there's like, probably. So I don't think, so I think the, and again, the one thing we, we want, I want to be really clear about is like, we're not, Say we're not slighting one fan base or anything like that. Oh, God. really? Yeah, no, about no, no. That. I, I think though that the attachment to each IP is different. So yes, hands of D and D because I've been playing D and D, you know, for over twenty years, and I love D and D. And Joe, you know this, and as much as you know that I love like OSR games and other stuff, like oh God, my yeah. first my first love is D and D, and and you know as somebody who has worked on D and D. Um, my attachment to D&D is not to its world. My attachment to D&D are the experiences that I've had at the table using that rule set and maybe playing yes. some of those adventures. One thing I've learned about L5R fans is that they love L5R for its world. They love how closely connected they've been to it as well. Like learning about the, like the card game and how decisions made in the card game and events affected the lore. Yeah. You don't see that in D&D, right? You don't see that anywhere. You don't see that anywhere. The only time you would have seen something like that is when they killed the second Robin, when they killed Jason Todd. And they were like, hey, is Robin going to live or die? Yeah. um, But nothing like that has really ever happened in TTRPGs. No, I'm trying to think, just like putting on my history brain hat, Third or fourth edition Warhammer 40k. I think that's the only other time I can think of that happening. And that lasted for like a few years. And L5R had that for like a decade plus. Yeah, and people like, I mean, I, people talk about how I think Sar said this during the recording. We made sure we made this happen. It's this and it's true. It's and actually it, yeah. true. Like I don't get me wrong. I understand why people love that. As a person who was part of that in the early days, I loved it. As somebody who works in L5R, the logistical hurdle of that gives me acid <laughs> reflux. Um, I think it's, it's an insane accomplishment. But like, um, but I, you're right. Like people care about the fact that this this world is fundamentally theirs in the way that like that's true for like fic writers. Right, where like you you were building something that is genuinely your own, um, yeah. And I I never mean to bag on D and D publicly or privately because I am also somebody who like very much to my earliest days would not be the individual I am today 
without it. Um, and I'd say that about Magic the Gathering, even though I don't play Magic anymore, or like 40K, even though I will, I could be a billionaire and I would never want to spend the money to make a 40K army again. They change um, the rules too often for me to really invest. Yeah, um, same. But like the the dedication to the lore across card game to TTRPG to LARP to living card game, people have personal associations with it that aren't just about their play experiences, right? That are about the impact they've had on this world and not to be corny about it, but the way the world has impacted their lives. Um, and it is... If I ever go back into academia, I could see this being like an area that I want to write on because I, I find it genuinely fascinating. I think it's it's maybe the only time in history I can imagine anything like this happening. Within the um, realm of like tabletop gaming, I, I oh, would yeah. certainly, certainly. I mean, you don't see people adopt as their like usernames, their L5R character names. I, I noticed that with the L5R community and I'm like, Oh yeah, I've never. The only time I've ever been attached, really, really attached to a character name was my most recent Pathfinder character, and it's not because that character was deep and meaningful. Um, it's because that <laughs> character opposite. was it was was a vulgar puppet gunslinger, <laughs> um, in the worst way possible. Um, unhinged, yeah. super unhinged. But again, like the L5R community is so deeply connected to the lore. This actually impacted my own feedback. And it's, I remember talking to you about it when I was recommending Emma, because I was like, I remember saying, Emma is like new to this industry. And this would have been the biggest IP that Emma would have worked with. And I told you, I was like, Emma's just going to tell you. I'm, she's just going to say it. Um <laughs> And there's no like business mindset in there. Not to say you're not business oriented, but Emma doesn't give a fuck. Just a just a <laughs> that's right. That's our f bomb for the episode. Yeah, um, you get. But one. <laughs> like Emma, Emma doesn't care. Emma's just gonna tell you. And for me, when I was providing my feedback, and I suspect that this might be the case with Hiromi as well, who has also worked on things like Magic Gathering and and, and so on. When I was providing my feedback, I was thinking, well, how is the L five R community? going to take this and how do we respect the legacy of L5R but also carry it forward mm -hmm. that was something that I took into account when I was providing my feedback what in my mind I was like what is realistic um, and that's not an approach everybody took and there's nothing wrong with that but that's how and that's why I think it's so important that you have this panel and that you have people who have different levels of familiarity with the TTRPG industry, but also people who have different tenure, have, have you know different amounts of time operating within mm -hmm. the industry as consultants. I'll say on our end, it's also a reason, one of many, why we went as detailed as we went, right? Because maybe somebody in their first round gives feedback that sounds like it would never fly that's too big a divergence from something but you break that into you know five smaller subsequent questions turns out okay yeah one of those five can't just get rid of the dragon clan right not a viable option 
people yeah. would people would pillory us literally in the streets outside of Gen Con. Um, but four out of five, okay, we can work with that. Those are things that are nuanced enough that don't fundamentally change the character, that don't break anything, that keep what people love and what people appreciate, and just add like the lightest little spin on it that makes it more considered, more intentional, more real. And I don't mean real in terms of just like reflecting the real world, because that was feedback that was, you know, also given, right? It's not just about reflecting the real world, because this is not a game about playing Japanese samurai in the Sengoku era. Um, this is a fantasy world. Uh, it draws inspiration, but it's not the real world, right? When I say real, I mean real within the context of the setting, right? And this is one of the other things is, you know, Rokugan is a land situated within a larger world. Rokugan is obviously the focus of our fictional world. But that does not mean that there isn't a bigger world with analogs to other East Asian cultures, South Asian cultures, Southeast Asian cultures. When I say being real, I mean better situating these things. And I don't know, as like an old school lore obsessed nerd, I love it when something feels more situated. I hate when it just comes out of the blue, right? Don't get me wrong, I'm wearing a DCC shirt as we speak. I do appreciate Gonzo things, but like <laughs> there, there is a different audience for that, right? If somebody was like, here's 800 pages of lore about DCC, I'd go, nope, no, thank you. I'm good. I'm going to keep playing funnels. Um, but that's not what I want out of L5R. And that's frankly not what most of the L5R fan base want. They want a world that they exist in. It's a, it's a different experience, right? You're going to have games where, yeah, you can go and play your funnel. Like, we play our annual funnel, right? Yeah. You can go and do that with DCC. You can go and slay dragons in Pathfinder and D&D. Or you could have all this political intrigue and family drama and action in, in L5R. Like, I know for me, despite, I think, the Dragon Clan being, like, the Chinese one, the one that, like, historically on Asians rep that I've always loved is the Crab Clan. Like, I just love the Crab Clan, and I, I just, yeah. I, yeah, right. And I just, I just want to play a game where we go over the wall. And I was yeah. actually talking with, I think Emma, you, myself, Jeremy. I think we were talking about a Resident Evil Four style game set in the world of L Five R, beyond Ooh. like a horror, oh, like a that horror game, cool. yeah, like a, like a horror game. And Jeremy had this like idea, and he was like, I pitched this and. They never, they never read it, so I'm bringing it up right now. Um, but yeah, Jeremy has this cool idea for like a horror sort of like L5R story, and I was like, we should just do it on Asians Rep. Um, and like hyper lethal. Oh, I love that. And, and like that we could land. do it in the theme of like, <laughs> an, like an OSR sort of style game, or we could do it using L5R's rules, but like set it within Rokugan. Um, I mean, there about- is absolutely <laughs> precedent for retainers, right? So if you yeah. do a high lethality version, you just swap between different characters as your character passes away. Um, ooh, no. Oh, man, that's oh, good. We, we had this joke about playing, and this is a different game. We're not talking about L5R now. Playing Rune Cairn, but calling it Rice Cairn. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then having this adventure that goes for like three sessions, but if a character dies, they're out. 
and we just see how long it goes and if they even complete it. Uh, I think that would be fun in Rokugan too, or like Beyond the Wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask because you you were kind of like leading into that, so I wanted to ask both of you. Actually, I'll start with you, Emma. On a different episode, we're going to go over all these findings, and I think it'll be really interesting. It might even take us a couple of episodes, so heads up, Joe and Asmodee team. Um, <laughs> but I want to know, like, of all the findings that were presented to us on the deck, there were, like, 14 major findings. Emma, what was your favorite one to see? You should have told me to review these things before <laughs> 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 Because uh, we saw that deck. I'll talk. I'll ask you. How about I ask you, Joe, first? Sure. Um, uh, probably. I think the one that was the most interesting for me, thinking ahead, was about tattoos. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's such, not only in and of itself, but it is something that implies such smart, subtle ways to differentiate the cultures of the clans, right? Because obviously, yeah, dragon, Chinese-coded. Honestly, kind of crane as well. Um, Phoenix, pretty explicitly Korean-coded. Unicorn, pretty explicitly Mongolian-coded. Mantis, we've already touched on. And it's, it's not something that, like, every single clan has its own tattooing culture. That's not the point. But but in recognizing this, this seemingly subtle but still in meaning profound difference opens up the gate to, well, what else is there? Is it, is it that it's something that has been developed within the lands of Rokugan since they've joined? In the case of the dragon, does it go back to an earlier time? Um, it, it starts opening all these avenues of possibility to, again, make this world more real, more lived in. Beyond however much has already been done, and there is a lot that has been done um, in 30 years, but like that there are still so many roads as of yet untraveled to deepen this thing. For me, as a lore obsessed nerd, um, I think it was very, very exciting. As a very close second, just because I think it's broadly the same, the intentionality slide. Um, and I think it all kind of fits under intentionality, right? Every single slide, to some extent, has an aspect of intentionality, which is why that was one of the first slides. But just like yeah. if you do, if you do something, well, don't just do something; do it for a reason, and have that reason be linked. You know, have this be a a dense web of things, not just random offshoots because somebody thought something sounded cool. Right, like the rule of cool does not apply when building a connected world. The rule of cool applies when you're like throwing something into a game on a lark. But if this is like world building, rule of cool is like number two. Number one is make a dense web, make it real. Um, and I think the focus on intentionality throughout the process at like every single stage from every single consultant was something that was just like drilled home and i'm really glad that it was yeah i think for me my the one that i really like to see was your wording specifically embrace asia beyond japan 
in all the deck you wrote, a repeated observation across consultants was that there are many elements of Rukugan and Legends of the Five Rings that take inspiration from other parts of Asia. And you talked about expanding on these influences without basically just kind of like appropriating them and making the world feel real. I know in our debrief meeting, we kind of talked about like, well, what happens across the sea, right? What happens? Like, what, what is there? And well, where, you know, you don't have to have a whole game there. What if there was a book? What if there was a novel that kind of expanded that part of the world? And I also love how we kind of, a big point of our conversation was, okay, well, why does Fu Lung have a Chinese name in Rokugan and nobody else really has Chinese names? And why does this major character have this? And how can we expand that? And how can mythical characters be viewed from more diverse lenses within the world of Rokugan? They have Chinese names and Japanese names. I, I like that conversation. Uh, for me, a close second is, is honestly the materials. Like uh, the idea Duh. of having a materials <laughs> guide, because like I'm, I'm a nerd for those 3.0, 3.5 supplement books. I do not care about adventure books. I have a lot of them, but I don't care about those. <laughs> I love the like arms and armor books. I love the class supplement books. Like my favorite D&D book is Complete Warrior. I love Complete Warrior. I think that book is excellent. Um, Very good. But I would just sit down and read an entire book about what are the weapons of Rokugan and then just reading about them all. Or like, there's a note here, horses versus charges versus ponies. I don't know what a charger is, but I want to know. And if I'm going to run a game of L5R, I would love to see that because for me, that brings out my immersion, right? Like I want to know what, what kind of clothes people wear. I want to be able to, I, my hope is that you can equip people with the correct tools to enhance their role playing, right? Like a lot of people are going to struggle with saying, well, what are they wearing, right? Well, now it's possible that we can have a guide or we can equip artists with better materials so that there is more representation in the art and the art better reflects the cohesiveness of Rokugan. Um, so for me, again, like the looking beyond Japan is really, really exciting within the context of L5R because it strengthens the identity of Rokugan if you go beyond it. And I think a lot of people might find that counterintuitive, but because Rokugan is made up of this combination of Asian influences, fleshing out the world beyond it only makes them exist in a more cohesive manner within Rokugan itself. Uh, and then the material stuff is just just me being a nerd. Um, <laughs> but uh, w what about you, Emma? I guess some of the stuff I wasn't surprised by because they're overall trends that are starting to happen. But I liked how detailed some of the points were. And it was cool to see some of the details that I recognize as things that I talked about or that there were specific questions about like uh, raw materials, like the different stones and symbolic raw materials and what we could use or what is a good option. But yeah, I guess I don't really have 
I didn't really sit there and think like, oh, I absolutely need to see this or (laughs) I'll be mad if I see something else. So when I read through it, I was just like, oh, interesting. For me, it was just like, oh, data. (laughs) (laughs) And this this is that like, this is what I said, Joe. I was like, Emma's going to like approach this like very differently from me. I'm going to have like the, that industry sort of perspective and Emma is going to take that expert perspective. And I understand industry, but I also think that if you want things to change, you have to Mm. sort of think differently every once in a while. So I'm very good at seeing where things might be too much or where it might not be viable, but it's worth pointing it out anyways and seeing what happens. I personally, what I think is interesting is the changing the name of characters like Amaterasu. Because that's something you um, still see used. In other RPGs. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and there was a section of the naming conventions dedicated just to that. Um, I will say, just as an aside, pretty much the entire Jade and Obsidian slide would not have existed without you, Emma. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you brought it up, and then when we put it into the surveys, it was one of those things people were like, oh, yeah, I totally. had a lot to say in the survey about that, but yeah. it wasn't in my feedback. Well, that's yeah. archaeology, and I'm very familiar with the symbolic meaning of different stones and things and materials. So, yeah, that's something that's always struck me because, yeah, I'm getting a little tired of everything being jade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about, like, having as part of the material guide, you know, we didn't realize there were distinctions between jade, jadeite, and nephrite, right? At all. Mm-hmm. That wasn't on our radar even a little bit. And now we were we went through and looked at all the various different jades and like the history and culture of jade. And I was like, okay, yeah, wow. This is, this is a pretty material point. Um, pun not intended. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I, even I was, in I was the rock person, <laughs> you're the rock person, even in like, in place, like it's so funny. Cause like, if you look at like China, like what it, what was, considered jade in like prehistoric China might not even geologically be considered jade in the present. So like the views of jade are so different yet similar between like the the two regions in East Asia. It's so interesting, but like all that to say, I think that working on L5R is a something I never thought would happen because, you know, you do a series (laughs) like that and you think, okay, well, they're just, they're just never going to talk to me. Um, <laughs> right. I say that, you know, as like, I don't know if you know, knew this, Joe, but like I went into reading Oriental Adventures already having worked on Candlekeep Mysteries and not telling anyone and yep. going in and doing that and be like, I guess I'm not working on D&D ever again. <laughs> um, that didn't happen. But uh, <laughs> yeah, L5R <laughs> was like not something that I had on my like 2023 checklist, my, my bingo sheet for 2023. And I am super, super happy that it happened. Like, A, I think it's, I think that beyond our friendship, Joe, I think that the team that you work on is fantastic. Like you folks genuinely care. This is, and I will say this, this is not a sponsored episode. Emma and I are not being paid. No. Unless Emma's being paid. I'm not being paid. <laughs> not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, like, we wanted to to highlight this because I, th- I think that the process that you, like, you and your team, Joe, designed for working with a panel of consultants and the intentionality behind 
you know, having a certain number of panelists and making a survey and having these debrief meetings. I think that should be mirrored by other companies to the to the best of their abilities, as long as it's logistically possible. I think that this was just like a really great lesson for the industry. And I am so excited to see what happens with L5R. I'm so excited to to see new L5R products and be like, I worked on that. <laughs> um I mean, yeah, honestly, same, right? Like down all the way to, I did not have working on L5R on my 2023 checklist either. Um, I started at Asmodee at the end of 2022. You had asked me three years ago if I was working on L5R, I'd go, wow, that sounds awesome. And also what, why, how? Um, And I am really proud of the team. I think we have a bunch of people who genuinely care, not only about doing right by all the fans, but by doing right about future fans, um, doing right by future fans. Um, and yeah, we've announced a lot of new L5R stuff coming up. Um, there will be more. There is interest. I think clearly when you look at like the success of like Blue Eye Samurai, there is a lot of interest right now in fantasy Japan and Japan in general in a way that like, I feel like we haven't had in the past decade or so. Um, Yeah. I'm very curious to see what happens. I was going to say next year, but this year with the release of Shogun. Me too. That's going to be an interesting one. Um, I will not say anything about that other than I read that book in high school. Yeah, me too. <laughs> to see what they did. Um, but like, I can see a world where there's a lot more L5R in the future. Not from like my hopeful nerd standpoint, but from my like business brain standpoint. And if that is the world we're stepping into, things like this are critical. Um, I mean, I'd say... It, in the abstract, things like this are always critical. Not going to say that only if there is a profit motive behind it is it critical. That's deeply uh, cynical in a way that even I am uncomfortable with. But, um, you know, if there is going to be more alpha in the future, we need new voices. We need people with cultural experiences, with cultural domain expertise, whether it's academic or lived or both. steward this thing right because it doesn't just belong to like somebody who's been playing since 1995 as somebody who's been playing since 1996 i definitely feel some ownership over it but like it's not just me none of this is ever just one person um it's it is and it should be you know a big tent um so doing right by y'all you doing right by us us all doing right by fans like this is to me the way it should just be in analog games right in in every industry but especially in one that's about like 
collaborative creativity and like welcoming in more people and letting our brains expand and create together. Like, well, yeah, from the ground up, that should be part of this process and should be done diligently and with a considered eye. Yeah. Yeah. And again, <laughs> you, you nailed it right there. It's also a process. This isn't a one-time thing. Um, and I think I, that's something oh, I ahead, brought up, but probably other people did too. When the team was asking, is there a way to change this or is there a solution? And this is both the consultant, but also the academic side of me is just like, there's no one way to, mm -hmm. there's no like, if you see this, replace it with that. And that's partly why I was so hard on the alternate words for honor was because I don't want this to become just a, you know, search and replace kind of <laughs> idea because <laughs> words are so contextual and the connotations behind them within English and whether that applies into an East Asian setting was a lot. And my brain just went, nope, 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 nope for a lot of them. <laughs> but yeah, we talked about this where for some of the religious stuff in particular, it's that we're just going to have to see what comes up and evaluate as we go so consultation is never over and this process i don't think existed to create a one guide to doing it different no. or doing it better so yeah there it is <laughs> i know we're we're going a little long but you actually just said something there that i think has been in the back of my mind for a while which is i wonder how much inaction or how much lack of detail in other consulting processes has to do with fear of inability to do the one right thing. Yeah. Because mm. um, I think it is, it is uncomfortable to take that leap and say, okay, well, you're not going to make everyone happy. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really tough part about being a creator in this space in general. Um, I mean, we as Asians represent, we don't make everyone happy, certainly. Absolutely not. Everyone. Absolutely <laughs> not. But that's not our goal, right? Our goal is to just try to do the right thing, understand that we'll make mistakes. And when we do, we learn from them. And then carry those lessons forward in the next thing that we do, right? Um, but that said, uh, Joe, I want to thank you for finally finding a way to come onto Asians Represent. Um, <laughs> I want to, you know, thank your team for, you know, putting in all of this work, right? Um, and setting a great example for the industry. And I really look forward to you know, other conversations about L5R um, and having the community, new and old, kind of rediscover this new L5R. Thanks, and bud. Maybe, I mean, we, maybe we play a game. Yeah, maybe we play a game. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we play Jeremy's horror L5R Beyond the Wall Crab Clan Resident Evil style game. Maybe we do that. Um, I'm down for whatever. You know me. Um it's good to finally be on here. And yeah, I mean, thank you for going through 
probably, it sounds like, a more lengthy, arduous process than you were expecting up front. Um, but yeah, we we want to do right by people. We want to do right by fans, old and not yet even aware of it. And that's hard, and it can take a long time. And that's not a reason not to do the work. That's like the reason to do the work. Um, and so, yeah, thank you both. And uh, in absentia, thank you, Hiromi and Mari. Um, <laughs> like, you put in a crazy amount of work to help us get started, like, on what is a continuing process and, like, what will take years because these things take a long time but also will happen and like only happens because we get like industry informed feedback from Daniel and academically informed feedback from Emma and like all the things in between. Right. Um, so thank you both. Thank you everyone. Um, However much fun an individual can have collating and designing a survey, <laughs> I definitely had um, in this process. So I am very much looking forward to to round two when we dig deeper into, uh, even deeper somehow, into these things. Yeah, and the big takeaway from this episode, Joe needs a raise. <laughs> 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 and, I, and I think we'll end it there. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. <laughs>